1 Samuel 29. All right, we're looking at David now. David, uh, at this stage, is on the run from Saul. He's gotten fed up, and he's went down to the Philistines. And <clears throat> he's backslidden at this point. He's kind of forgotten who he is and what he's about. And so what he's doing as he's down with the Philistines is he's kind of, he's kind of <clears throat> talking out of both sides of his mouth, right? He, he, he's working for the Philistines <laughs> um, on the one side, but on the other side he's, he's marauding and he's not telling them what he's doing. He's, he, he's making sure there's no, nobody left to tell the tale. Right? So he's marauding against the Philistines anyway. Uh, but he, he has a conundrum. A conundrum comes up in his life and the conundrum is this, right? The Philistines are going to battle against Israel. And they want him to go with them. At least his Lord does. He wants him to go with them. Right? And David's going to go with them. <clears throat> now, look at 1 Samuel chapter 29. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, and the Israelites pitched by the fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines... Sorry. Sorry, chapter 28, verse 1. We're going to go to 29, right? But chapter 28, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish, that's the, uh, the master that, that David has run away to from Saul, because he's gotten fed up being on the run from Saul, said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. All right, let's pray. Father, would you bless us now? Help us, Lord, as we look to your word. Lord, uh, let us take truth and apply it to our hearts. And, oh, Lord, may we be lifted up and encouraged and blessed as we look to you. Lord, we love you. You are indeed a great and mighty God. And, Lord, your plans for us are great. And, but, Lord, it's so easy for us, like David, to, to lose sight of them and to drift away from them and to end up in a bad place. But, Lord, we do thank you that you are a God that loves us. And as with David, you draw us back in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, things are going from bad to worse for, from David's, for, for, for David. In 1 Samuel 27, 1, uh, David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and shall shall despair of me to seek me any more in the coast of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Now, what's happening here for, for David? David, <clears throat> remember, David uh, was anointed by Samuel to be king. And then Saul sinned against God. Saul had sinned against God and been rejected. David's anointed to be king. Saul has an inkling. This guy's the next king. And an evil spirit from the Lord is troubling Saul now, so he hates David. And several times he's tried to stick a javelin in him. Right? And so David with Jonathan, they, can, they conspire together, and Jonathan tells David, you better go, because he is going to kill you the first chance he gets. And so David goes on the run. He sends his family down to the Moabites to, to be looked after, and he goes on the run uh, from Saul. Now, while he's on the run from Saul, <laughs> everybody in the country that's got a problem with Saul gets drawn to him. So he ends up with a band of 400 men. Right? 400 men with women and children in, in tow as well. So he, he, he's become a leader uh, of a band, probably not the most savory band uh, to be the leader of, but he is the leader of the band. But S Saul is completely paranoid by this point, and he's on David's case. The, the, the main objective for the nation of Israel during these years is kill David. 
The whole army goes after David. Uh, again and again, Saul leads them after David. And God protects David and looks after David. And twice David has opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't do it. And Saul realizes momentarily, his, his, his moment, momentary lucidness where he sees, you know, this guy's not against me at all. But he rapidly uh, loses it again. And so David is constantly on the run. He's living his life going from place to place on the run uh, from Saul, waiting for the day when Saul is going to catch up to him. Now, he, Saul never catches up to him. Right? There's one account that's really funny because Saul is walking along one side of the mountain and David and his men are on the other side of the mountain, but Saul doesn't see them and doesn't catch them. On another occasion, Saul's about to get them and he gets uh, to catch up with David and he gets word that the Philistines have invaded and he has to run. He has to go uh, leave, the, leave chasing after David and go and fight against the Philistines. So Saul has David under pressure, but he's never going to catch him. Why is Saul never going to catch David? Okay, why is the Lord protecting him? How does David know the Lord's protecting him? How does David know God's protecting him? He's anointed king of Israel. God has a plan for him. Now, notice this about it, though. I'm sure when David got anointed to be king, king of Israel, he thought, well, you know what's going to happen next week? Is that what we always think? As soon as God tells us something's going to happen, we always think it's going to happen next week. It didn't happen next week. Some people say that there's 14 years between David's anointing and David actually becoming king. Right? I've never, never been able to work out the years. But there's certainly a period of years there when David is on the run and um, he's in a bad place. Right? Look at Psalm 142. Keep your finger there in First Samuel, but look at Psalm 142. This is written around the time, or, or, or at least about the time, when David uh, is um, being pursued by Saul, right? I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, that, has your spirit ever been overwhelmed within you? It's just, I can handle this. This is too much. I cannot deal with this. This is just way too much. Saul's on David's tail. David's spirit is overwhelmed within him. I, I just can't handle this. I can't do this. I, 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 I can't keep living like this. Sooner or later, he's going to get me. Sooner or later, he's going to stick that javelin in me. He hates me. The most powerful man in the land hates me. He's out to get me. Sooner or later he's going to get me. I just can't cope with this. I've got the pressure of all these men I've got to look after and I've got <clears throat> um, me to look after. His spirit is overwhelmed within him. Then he says, then thou knewest my path. Do you think God knew what was happening in David's life when he was on the run? Do you think, do you think maybe God was actually involved in it? Nothing happens in your life that God's not involved in. Now, <laughs> what happens for us is somebody does us wrong and we feel they're the ones that are on our cases. Humanly speaking, they are. But the reality is that it's not somebody that's on our case. It's the Lord allowing something to happen in our lives. 
And that's what's happening for David. So David's got Saul on his case, but the Lord knew his path. The Lord knew what he was doing. The Lord knew where David was going. Um, In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me? Everywhere David went, Saul had sent out messengers to catch him. There was a bounty on his head. Saul had done two things. He first he had Chris he he had killed all the priests of Nob. Because as far as he was concerned, they were aiding and abetting David. Now they weren't. But he had he had killed all the priests. Right? And so so the one thing was if you aid and abet him, I will kill you. If he would kill the priest, there was nobody in the land he wouldn't kill. But the other thing is, if you would help him get David, you would get a fat reward. Now, it's kind of hard to work against that. You know, because, you know, listen, you're under pressure. Everywhere you turn, there's snares set for you. There's people waiting to catch you. There's no way out of it. Um, <clears throat> I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Now, what's he saying there? There's no safe place for me. There is no place where I'm safe. He would go asleep at night, and he would go asleep thinking, if Saul catches up with me in the night, he'll just stick a spear in me, and I'll never wake up. I might wake up and find Saul outside this cave in the morning. You know, <clears throat> listen, it is grim. There's no safe place for me anymore. There's no place for me to get away from this. Do you ever feel like that? Now, remember, <clears throat> God is in this in David's life. You see, here's the thing for David. God anointed David to be king. And David, you know, he, he, he wasn't grasping at it or anything. But, you know, that had to be kind of, you know, that's, that, that's pretty neat. I'm going to be the king. God anointed him to be king. And um, <clears throat> then David has to face all of this. And he wears out. And you know what happens for him? He begins to second guess himself. Did God really say that? I'm never going to be king. This thing is all messed up now. There's no possible way for this to work out. I mean, I'm the most hated man in Israel. I'm the man with a bounty on my head. How in goodness name could I ever be their king? And he begins to lose what God has promised him. He begins to come to the place where it's not real to him anymore. And, and you know, he's, 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 he's losing sight of it completely. Now back to, to 1 Samuel chapter 29. So <clears throat> David got so fed up being on the run that what he did was he just gave up. And he said, I'm going down to the Philistines. They'll take care of me. They'll feed me. I won't have all this pressure. And Saul won't come down there and get me. He'll be afraid of getting embroiled in a, in, a, in a battle he can't get out of. He won't come down to the Philistines and get me. I'll be okay. I'll be safe down there. But see, the problem is that when he came down to be safe with the Philistines, something else happened, didn't it? He became, at least outwardly, like one of the Philistines. He came to the place where, you know what, he was just kind of going along with it, and he was doing, the th- doing their thing, and, and uh, he, he looked like one of the Philistines now. And I, I think he kind of he came to the place where he said, I'm never going to be king of, the is- of Israel now. Saul's going to see to that. He's going to make sure I'm never king. I might as well do whatever I can do, just live well. And this is the best way I can live well. He was a warrior. He was a fighter. He was going to fight with people. So he was going to fight for somebody. So he's going to be a mercenary now and get paid by the Philistines. 
And then he's asked to go against Israel. Now what do you do with a case like that? There's no way he can say to Achish, you know what, listen, um, they're my people. I don't want to fight them. Because his career, his hope is all based upon the fact that he's loyal to Achish. If, if, he, if he's going to be loyal to Achish, he's going to have to go to battle against Israel. So he's going to go to battle against his own people. He's going to go to battle against the people that God has anointed him to be king over. He really is in trouble now. Now, I don't know what's going on in his mind. Uh, he's definitely got, got a terrible problem here. How's he going to get by with this? How's he going to do this? He's got to go to, go to battle with them. Um, now, you, you know what's going to happen? God's going to happen. God always happens. God always gets involved. You see, God is always orchestrating things in our lives. He's always at work behind the scenes. Now, if you had asked David where was God at this point, he'd have said, I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know why he ever anointed me to be king. Uh, it's just a burden, and there's no way I'm going to be king now. I have no idea where God is. That, that's, that's reasonably what he would have thought. you ever feel like that in your life? I have no idea where God is. I have no idea what he's doing. I have no idea. Here I am. I'm, I'm slugging it out down here, and whatever he's doing up there has no bearing on it because he's not intervening in anything. You know, I asked him to do something, and he didn't do it. Just goes to show he's not involved. By the way, is that true? That was somebody last week. They had asked God to do something, and God hadn't done it. Therefore, he wasn't involved, and they were going to move countries and get involved somewhere else. And I said to him, I said, God does not do what you ask him to do. There's, there's, there's no reason. God, God can answer your prayers three ways. He can say yes, and you get it. He can say no, you're not getting it. <clears throat> or he can say, later. He will answer. But he doesn't have to give you what you ask him to do. Sometimes we get ourselves in a bind because we, we kind of twist promises in Scripture and we expect God to give us what we ask because we asked it. That's not God you're talking about. What, that's, what you're talking about there is, you, you know, you're talking about some Santa Claus that does what you want him to do. God doesn't do what you want him to do. He has a better plan all the time, and he's working out his plan. So you, you can easily get to the place where you think God's not involved in the situation. And to be fair, sometimes God withdraws from the situation so that you will think he's not involved in the situation. Seems awfully mean, doesn't it? Seems awfully mean. Just in the moment when you need him and want him to do something, he withdraws. That just doesn't seem fair. But let's think it through. What's God doing in the life of King David here? He's, he's, God's put Saul on the throne. And Saul blew it. Right away he blew it. He valued the people more than he valued God. And he constantly made decisions that were where he chose the people and their opinion of him over the, <coughs> the opinion God uh, had over him. Now, now God's going to put a second man on the throne. The man after God's own heart, King David. He's going to use him greatly and use him mightily. He's going to take every precaution in preparing this man for what he's going to do through him. 
So part of what God is doing through David is God is bringing David to the place where, David, you have no one but me. You have no one but me, David. I am going to show you, David, that there is nobody you can depend upon but me. And you know what? It's going to work very well in David's life. He's not going to be perfect, but he's going to learn a lesson. See, these 14 years, uh, <clears throat> when David was going through them, he's probably saying, what a waste of time. I mean, the country needs leadership. The country needs to run. The country needs to uh, get up on its feet and defeat the Philistines and, and move on from this place. How come I'm out here in the wilderness and Saul, uh, who, who's clueless and just all caught up in chasing down me, is letting the country go to wreck and ruin? Why doesn't God do something if he's going to do something? Don't we often feel like that? God's dropped the ball. He's, he's not clued into the situation and he's dropped the ball. And, and when we come to that, it's easy for us to come to the place where our faith fails and we, and we just begin to think, you know, it's not happening, nothing's happening here. And that's where David's at. David's at the place where nothing is happening in his situation. Now, let's talk about it because we've probably all been there at some stage where we felt like God was doing nothing and, 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 and it was all over. Does God look down and say, Ha, I knew. Look at the state of you. I knew you'd turn out like that. I knew you were a waster before I ever took you on. Um, you know what? It's just as well I didn't give you anything. Does he? Or does God push us through things and wait for our response? That's what he does. He pushes us through things and waits for our response, right? Now, let's read on a couple of verses here. <clears throat> Actually, let's not read. Um, I'll tell you what happens in the rest of chapter 29. Right? What happens is, uh, Achish wants him to fight with him. Achish says, you're going to go with me. You're my man. I trust you. And the other lords of the Philistines come and they say, you're taking him into the battle with us? Do you, do you remember the song they used to sing? They used to sing that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Do you know who the, the ten thousands uh, of people that he killed that we're talking about? Philistines. Us. And you're going to take this guy into the battle? And we're going to go into the midst of the battle uh, against Israel. And in the middle of the battle, he's going to turn on us. And he's going to start slaughtering us. How better for him to get back with Saul? You are mad. There is no way. He's going to fight with us. Absolutely no way. Now, that's God stepping in and preventing a situation in David's life that was going to be next to impossible. So David gets sent home, right? Uh, so the last verse, verse 11, they, so his men rose up early to depart in the morning and to return into the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Chapter 30, verse 1. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag of Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. 
So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. All right, now, now let's, let's get the picture going up to, uh, up to where we are here now, right? So uh, David is sent away from the battle. What does that mean to, the, to, the Philistine, to the, um, his men? Well, it means this. If you're a soldier and a fighting man in this time, going to war is your business. And you don't get paid a set wage. What you get paid is part of the spoils. So these guys are going out expecting, you know, to have a bonanza. Yeah, they're risking their lives, but that's what they do. They're soldiers. But they're expecting to come back, you know. <clears throat> when it talks about them stripping all the bodies of all their gold and all their silver, that's, that's what regularly happened. That's gross and gruesome to us. But you know what? <clears throat> if a man went out on the battlefield uh, and was victorious, he could expect to come back wealthy. Right? <clears throat> uh, he could expect to, expect to come back uh, with money in his hand. Now, you know what? When the Philistines sent them away, no money. We have, just, we have just ridden for three days to be here at our own expense. And now we're riding back three days and we don't get to fight anybody. We don't get to win anything. We are, we are not happy. Right now they come back to Ziklag. And what do they find in Ziklag? They find a, a, a burnt out shell. Everything is gone. <clears throat> You know, uh, everything, the Amalekites have, come, have invaded the south and, uh, and they've burned it and they've taken everything. Anything of value is gone, including their families. So these men are sore. They are bent out of shape. Now, they're lovely Christian men, all of them, right? No, they're not. You know who was drawn to David? Everyone that had a debt, everyone that had trouble with the king, everyone that had problems. Every, all those men were drawn to David. David's, David's happy band uh, were a band of outlaws before they ever came to him. And they came to him for protection. So, yes, they could demonstrate great loyalty towards him because he was protecting them, but guess what? He wasn't protecting them now. They lost everything. And these guys are not happy. And you know what? It's got to be somebody's fault. That's David's fault. Why didn't you leave someone to look after our families? What were you thinking? What kind of leadership is this? And they speak of stoning him. You know, they're, they're, they're huddled around in little groups around the camp, and they're thinking, you know what? <clears throat> oh, we, we, we'll stone this guy. We'll deal with him. Now, think about where David is at this point, right? <clears throat> David is in the place where he has, he's been rejected by the Philistines. <clears throat> Achish, his, his boss, has said, no, you can't come to battle with me. Sorry about it, David, but the lords of the Philistines are not happy with you coming. You can't come to battle with me. Okay, he's been rejected by Saul. Saul wants to kill him. You know, <clears throat> um, Saul's main aim in life is to kill David. Now, He's lost his wife, he's lost his children, and his men have turned against him. This is the ultimate catastrophe. This is the ultimate disaster. For David, it has gone all the way down now. 
He has nothing. And what's he going to do? What do you do when you have nothing? What do you do when the bottom falls out of your life? What do you do when you come to the place where you've got nothing to depend upon? What else can you do? <clears throat> Look at verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, <clears throat> what do you think David did now? He's kind of, he's up against it. He's got no one, and he's got nothing, and he's finished. The only one that's left for him is God. Now let me ask you, do you think God's capable of doing that in your life? Do you think God's capable in the 21st century of isolating you to the place where you've only got him? He's done it, hasn't he? He's marvelous at doing it. I mean, he's incredible at doing it. He's the master to actually take and turn things around in your life so that you've got nowhere to turn but him. Now, your response in those moments is really important. Because you can respond and you can say, this is not fair. God's not treating me right and people are not treating me right and I'm having a hard time and how dare they. And You can have a pity party. Now, you know the thing about pity parties is you have them on your own. Because nobody really cares about your pity parties. Now, some people are too nice to say, would you get over yourself? But they, nobody really goes to your pity party. N nobody cares all that much. And you say, this is very frustrating. You mean nobody cares? No, they, they care, but they don't care about your pity party. <clears throat> and you, know, you, you can, and particularly when God's dealing with you, and God's decided you're going to be on your own, you, you throw your pity party. Nobody's going to it. You're going to be on your own in your pity party. So, <clears throat> what God's done in David's life is He's He shoved him into the neck of a bottle, and the only way out of the bottle is God. Can God do that to you? Yeah. Can you say no to God at that point? Yes, you can. You can say, it's, I mean, it's the daftest thing you could possibly do. Because there's nowhere else to go. I mean, <clears throat> what you're choosing is you're choosing misery. You, you can say no to God. He won't stop you. God's never going to force you to do anything. He is never going to force you to do anything. Or you know what you can do? You can turn to God and you can say, Okay, Lord, I need you. And David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now what do you think the thought line went like in David's mind when he encouraged himself in the Lord? Well? Okay. Okay, I've got nowhere else to turn to, but he's come through for me before. I remember that time when I was in the cave and he was, Saul was just about to get me. 
And then all of a sudden the army turned around and left and we found out later that the Philistines had invaded and he had to go. You know, I remember that time when he threw the javelin at me and he missed. I remember that time when we, shall, <clears throat> when we put the, uh, the statue in the bed and I got out the window. God's protected me other times before. What else do you think he thought? What else do you think he thought? What do you think? When it says he encouraged himself in the Lord, that's an active thing that he did. What would you do in the place where there's nothing else? Well, he prayed. Lord, would you help me? Now, what do you think God did? Ha <laughs> ha. I knew you'd come to this, David. Yeah, I knew you'd come to this. I've been waiting for you to come to this time. Well, I'll tell you what. How long was it since you prayed? Well, double that, and then I'll answer you. Because you know what, David? You are just... I mean, you, you were just a hypocrite, Dave. You, you're just one of those people that you pray when you've got a problem. I'm, I'm not answering you, David. No, he didn't. God's going to answer him right away. God's going to answer him right away. You see, David's going to go ascend for the Urim and the Thummim. The priest is going to uh, come, and, and, and David's going to ask, should I pursue after these guys? And God's going to say, yeah. And he's going to go after them. They're going to find a guy uh, that's been kicked out of the camp. He's going to lead them straight into the camp. And David is going to take 200 men down. And he's going to destroy them. Now, this is a major force, right? David is going to destroy them. And 400 escape. So how many were there there in the first place? And you know what? Not a woman and not a child has been hurt. And you know what else? David's not only going to get back all their own stuff, but he's going to get back all the stuff of the Amalekites. They're going to walk away from this situation rich. God's going to respond to David because David responded to him and turned the whole situation around. Now, God's able to do that in your life, but don't, don't get off on the idea that, you know, well, okay, okay, all right, here's the, here's the formula. The formula is God makes my life difficult, and I respond to God and say yes to God, and then God kind of just blesses me and everything goes right in my life. No, that's not what happened. In this case, you know what? The blessing is huge, and God is, is actually doing something in David's life. God, God is bringing David back to himself. He's drawing them back. And God can do stuff like that. By the way, sometimes we look at people's lives and we think, oh, they're gone way too far for God. No, they've never gone way too far for God. God can always turn them around. Now, he will never force them to turn around. But he can make the neck of the bottle pretty tight. And he can make the blessing, when they do return, pretty fantastic. So that what looks impossible to you and I is not in any way impossible with God. But the key part here for David, and the key part that we need to understand for us is, when we're in the neck of the bottle, we need to respond rightly to God. We need to remember, He loves me. He, he wants to help me. And He says, if I call out to Him, He will help me. Lord, help me. We need to remember that. Let me give you... <clears throat> And then I'll close and and, and we'll spend some time on prayer, right? Um, God's going to give it all back to David plus a bit. Right? Now, a couple of things for you to think of, right? First of all, 
Don't let fear drive you. You know what drove David down to the Philistines? Fear. He was afraid. I'm going to die someday. He was worn out and weary and afraid. Don't we do stupid things when we're afraid? When we let, things, when we let fear in, don't we do stupid things? Aren't we likely to leave God out of the picture completely when we're afraid? Don't let fear drive you. Don't, fear is a horrible master, and God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's something the enemy uses in our lives. Don't let fear drive you. Secondly, don't forget who you are. David was the anointed king of Israel, and it didn't matter how it looked. He was going to sit on that throne with a crown on his head one day because God said. And if God says, it's going to happen. Right? So don't forget who you are. And then don't side with the enemy. See, what happens is fear drives us. We forget who we are, and we take the enemy's side. Now, we need to kind of get our heads around this. There's not kind of this neutral ground where I'm just not siding with anyone. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not doing the Christian thing right now. Uh, no, 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 there's not. Either you're a Christian serving God or you're a Christian serving the devil. It's one side or the other. Now, we don't like that thought, but it really is helpful to us if we actually kind of uh, come to grips with it. If I'm not doing what God tells me to do, I'm siding with the devil. And David could have been a very great tool in the hands of Satan. Just imagine for a minute. Imagine for a minute that David had gone into battle with the Philistines. And imagine for a minute that he and his band had slaughtered the Israelites. How would King David ever have become King David? That would have been off the cards, wouldn't it? Okay? Now, if David was off the cards, where was Christ going to come from? Was Christ going to be a Philistine? <clears throat> and if there was no Christ, there'd be no salvation. Now look, I'm, 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 I'm supposing all the way through there. Right? God, always, God always has a plan and God always works out his plan. But David could have been a very great tool in the hands of Satan. He could have done, been used to do some things that would have had a profound effect on God's kingdom. You know, <clears throat> you could too. You can side with the enemy and you can do damage to God and his work. We can do it. Side with ourselves, side with the enemy, we, we can do damage to God's work. And the fourth thing, <clears throat> always remember that God loves you and works to draw you back. He's always working to draw you back. Don't be blind to it. It's not like you can go so far from God that you, <clears throat> you come to the place where God says, right, well, finish with you. You can do that humanly speaking with people. I mean, you, you, can burn, you can burn all your favor with people. That's a reality. But with God, you can't. Because Jesus died for you when you were a sinner and you hated him. You know, you picture yourself in the worst moment of your life doing the worst thing you've ever done in your life. Jesus died for that. He loved you enough to die for that. That's crazy, isn't it? But he loves you like that. He's not going to stop loving you because you do wrong. 
I don't advise that you plan on doing wrong because it's going to cost you greatly. But understand this, he will not stop loving you because you do wrong. Sometimes we look at situations and we think they're impossible. We look at kids and we think the situation's impossible. You know, we, we look at situations and we think this, it could never be. And God can step in and God can bring pressure to bear like you and I never can understand. And the pressure God brings to bear only has one solution, trust me. And we're amazed at what God does in people's lives. I mean, Joshua's upstairs, and, and uh, he's been a blessing this week, right? <clears throat> but do you know that Joshua at one stage said he didn't want to be a Christian? And he decided he wasn't going to do this thing, and he got kicked out of homeschool. I'll tell you that himself. Um, <clears throat> and he did get kicked out of homeschool, and he was out of homeschool for several weeks. Right? And um, you know what happened for Joshua? Joshua couldn't buy evolution. And he would find himself in arguments arguing the side of a creator God. Because God was real. Now, there was no way he was admitting to anyone. But it was real. Because God is real. See, <clears throat> when you and I got saved, you know, God didn't just give us a ticket, say you're going to heaven. He fundamentally changed us. Right? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on his name. One day, nearly 30 years ago, beside my bed on the Fairhouse Road, I knelt down, a sinner on my way to hell and a child of Satan. And I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save me, and I got up a saved person on my way to heaven and a child of God. Now, I can never go back to being a child of Satan. He fundamentally changed me. Everyone that is in Christ Jesus is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, listen, you can put a face on it. You can make it look different. People do <clears throat> all the time, but the reality is in the heart of it. And you know what you do? You just leave it in God's hands because God can work it out. God can turn it around. God can change it. God can change life. That's what he's in the business of. Here's David just about to blow it. He's, he's kicked over all the fences. He's kind of way away from the place where he's ever going to be king and God takes him, God turns him back around. And you know, this is an episode in his life that we really don't even reckon on. But you know what? It was a dark, dark day for David. And God turned it all around. He's a miracle-working God. Never forces anybody. But what he can do is, because he's God, he can make it next to impossible to refuse. God is the ultimate person for making you an offer you can't refuse. He really is. So there is no situation that God can't turn around. Let's just look to him and depend upon him and pray. And when you find yourself in a place where you're far from God and you've gotten it wrong, remember he loves you. And he wants you back. Always. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us? Lord, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you, Lord, for <clears throat> King David and the work he did in his heart and his life. And Lord, we do ask you, Lord, to keep us close to you. Because Lord, we're certainly no better than David was. 
And Lord, we know with enough pressure on us, Lord, we tend to drift and we tend to want to get out from under the pressure and go somewhere where it's easier and somewhere where it's not so hard. Lord, we do ask you, Lord, would you bless and keep us close to you? And Lord, we think of those tonight, Lord, that <clears throat> could be in this room and for one reason or another have no, re no desire to and no, no want to be. And yet, Lord, they're yours and we know they are. Blessed Spirit of the living God, uh, would you make them the offer they can't refuse, Lord? And Lord, would you make it as often as need be and would you put the pressure on as much as you, they need it to be so that they would turn to you? And Lord, help us to be a testimony that keeps reminding them of your love for them. In Jesus' name, amen.